Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. Lehman Property Management Company has the apartment you will be able to call home with over 1,600 apartment units available in central Illinois. Visit them today at MidwestShelters.com or visit them on Facebook. Hey everyone, if you've been around the Savvy Sauce for a while, you know we want to equip you in various ways to enjoy a godly marriage. In graduate school, I specialized in Christian sex therapy and it is a joy to share with you various teachers I learned from and resources I think you will find meaningful for enhancing intimacy in your marriage. The book we discussed today has helped so many people experience more in their life and their marriage. This is the third most popular episode from 2020. Here is Passion Pursuit with Dr. Julie Slattery. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Julie. Oh, it's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And you have quite the bio. So can you give us some context just on who you are and what work you do? Yeah, for sure. Let's see. I live in Akron, Ohio. I guess we'll start with that. I'm married to Mike. We just celebrated our 25th anniversary and we have three sons. I am by training a clinical psychologist But um, my work these days is with an organization called Authentic Intimacy. And essentially, a lot of what I do is just teaching about sexuality from a biblical perspective and helping people just uh, address different kinds of issues and brokenness and questions related to sexuality. So some people call me the sex lady. I don't really like that title, but I guess that's what I do. Well, I know today we're going to cover a lot of topics related to sexual intimacy and marriage, but first let's just start with a broader topic of body image. What Mm. effect do you see body image having on our sexual intimacy? Oh, I think it's huge. Uh, You know, if you think about it this way, when you have sex with your spouse, you're giving them a gift and you're giving them the gift of your body. And I think we all can remember times maybe at Christmas or somebody's birthday where you gave a gift you weren't really excited about. You had to get them something and you couldn't think of the right thing. So you just tried and you're like, you even start apologizing before they unwrap it. Like, I hope you like it. I'm not sure if you're going to like it, you know, but it was the best I could do. Now that's a very different feeling than when you found the perfect gift for somebody and you know, they're going to love it. And you can't wait to see their face when they unwrap it. And so my question would be, like, when you present your body to your spouse, what do you feel more like? Do you feel like, well, I'm sorry, I'm not in better shape. I'm sorry, I'm not more sexy, but this is the best I have. Or do you feel like you're going to really enjoy this when you unwrap it? Like, I can't wait to see how much you're going to enjoy this. And so it's less about what our bodies actually look like and more about how we feel about what we're presenting to our spouse in sexual intimacy. And you can even hear in that example, there's more enthusiasm and energy in that gift that you can't wait to give them. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious, do you think that for a wife specifically, if her husband 
has been in a cycle of viewing pornography, do you think that affects how she views her own body? Yeah, I think it definitely does. I think pornography has affected how every woman views her body, even if her husband isn't currently looking at it, because it has set this impossible standard for sexiness. I've heard women say, you know, I just, I can't compete with that. So why would I even try? But when a husband is actively engaging with pornography, the research will show that, that his brain is learning to respond to all kinds of novel, unrealistic sexual situations. And because his brain is being wired that way, when his beautiful naked wife is standing in front of him, he can't even at times respond sexually because his brain has been overridden by unnatural visions of all kinds of things. And so a woman's sense of feeling inadequate when her husband's engaging with pornography, and this goes the other way too for women that are looking at pornography, it really does dampen each other's ability to appreciate the great gift that God has given us with within marriage with each other. I'm glad you bring it up because let's reverse that. How does it affect the wife who's looking at pornography? How does that affect her marriage? Really the same way. And for women, it may be less visual in terms of I'm not as visually stimulated by my husband because women tend to be less visual. They're still visual, but less than men. But, you know, think about it, for example, in terms of the kinds of things that women fantasize about. Fifty Shades of Grey was a great example. It wasn't visual pornography, but it was a form of pornography because women are reading this unrealistic fantasy story about a 20-something man who's in perfect shape and earns like millions of dollars and owns a private jet and somehow he finds time, <laughs> you know, this young man finds time to work out all the time and to be romantic but not only that, he's the perfect balance between being an alpha male and taking charge, but learning to be sensitive. And and so you read something like that or you watch, you know, a TV sitcom that is doing that same sort of thing, creating this fantasy of somebody that doesn't even exist. And then you put that image on your husband and say, well, if he really loved me, then he would treat me like this or he would buy me that or you know, if he was a real man, he'd be more carved in his body. I could see his muscles and he'd provide for me better. And so just like pornography makes a woman feel like she can never live up to a standard, the kinds of fantasies that women are pro to also make a husband feel like his best isn't good enough. And it can even be spiritually. You know, women are prone to looking at the pastor or this great neighbor down the street who plays with his kids all the time and saying, why can't my husband be more like that? And so whatever form of pornography or fantasy we're drawn to, we're naturally going to compare a normal human being with strengths and weaknesses to something that looks better, but in reality is fake. That's really good to elaborate and I guess, just broaden our picture of pornography and the damage that can play. Will you give us some more basic differences between men and women, specifically as it relates to sex? Yeah, so there's all kinds of biological differences in anatomy, and these probably won't surprise people, but but men 
are more visually stimulated. Women are more stimulated by just emotions and touch and feeling safe and close in a relationship. Men uh, respond quickly and women take a long time to respond sexually usually. Some people will call it the difference between a microwave and a crock pot, but typically that's a good analogy between the two. Men want direct stimulation on the sexual organs. Just go right to that We'll skip foreplay where women like to draw out sexual pleasure and it takes them a while to become aroused. So they want stimulation in many different places over time and don't usually want direct stimulation most of the time during foreplay. Men are typically all about the goal of orgasm for both themselves and for their partners and women are more about the journey about feeling the closeness, sharing the intimacy. They may actually enjoy foreplay more than they enjoy intercourse. So those are some basic ones in terms of just how we're wired differently related to sexuality. And you cover these basic differences in your book and study with Linda Dillo, which is called Passion Pursuit. What kind of love are you making? And let me just say that is a wonderful, one-of-a-kind resource so I'm curious, how and why did this book come about? Mm. Well, Passion Pursuit was the first thing that we ever did in the Ministry of Authentic Intimacy. It's kind of a crazy story, but I met Linda Dillo when I was working at Focus on the Family, and I interviewed her for a broadcast, and we just connected, and she began to mentor me. And then God just started taking me through a really deep spiritual time of intimacy with him over several months. And then God just started to burden me with the sexual brokenness that I was seeing, particularly within women and the lack of resources. And so it's a long story. I won't go into all the detail, but to make it very short, some guys from Focus on the Family New Zealand called me out of the blue and said, we've been praying that God would raise up a woman to address sexual issues. And God just keeps giving us your name. And so these three guys from New Zealand underwrote and really challenged us to create Passion Pursuit, which Linda and I did. We field tested it in Australia and New Zealand and the U.S. And uh, we thought that would be sort of a one-off project, but it turned into a whole ministry, which is now Authentic Intimacy. So Passion Pursuit has a really special place in our hearts, and it's been a joy just to see God use it transformed so many women over the last several years. And it is such a helpful book, so I want to cover a few topics that you address in that study. First, you encourage women that they have power, and mm -hmm. I would just love for you to unpack the three power zones women have in marriage and how they can leverage that power in a God-honoring way. Yeah, our power always comes from what somebody else in a relationship needs. Maybe we we don't think about it that way, but if you have a need and I'm the one who can meet that need, then that gives me some power. And that's particularly true if I'm the only one who can meet that need. All of a sudden, I have your attention. And within marriage, God has created it so that women have unique needs that only their husband can really meet. And men have unique needs that only their wives can really meet. And so our three areas of power come from those three unique needs that guys have, that our husbands have. And um, the first one is your husband really wants to be respected by you. And I know we talk about in the church, you know, wives respect your husband, but we don't unpack 
why that's so significant. And you've got to realize that a, a man's ego is much more fragile than a woman's ego. We don't quite get this as women. But a man always feels like he's kind of on the edge between being a success and a failure. And his wife has the most important vote in his life of whether he's a hero or whether he's a failure. You know, whether he's a good father or he's not, or a good husband or not, or a good man or not, or a good provider or not. And so a wife has all this power, even in her words and her tone, how she talks about her husband to other people, how she encourages him through difficulties to either say, hey, I believe in you, you're my guy, or to remind him of his failures. Um, and so that's the first area of power. The second area of power is that a husband needs a teammate and that you complete him. That's not just Jerry Maguire. It goes back to Genesis where God created Eve to be this completer, this helper. And so really a, a man can't do all he's called to do without his wife being there with him and without her contributing to his thinking and his decisions. And that's really true in the sexual arena too, that he needs you to even help him understand you. You know, he can't be a great lover to you if you don't help him with that. He can't be a man of integrity, you know, if you're not walking alongside sharing that journey with him. And so that gives you power. Are you going to be his teammate? And then the third area is this whole area of sexuality. And sex is an important aspect of marriage to most men. And a lot of reason that men get married is because they want sex. They want to be sexually intimate. And so if we withhold that or we don't enter into sex with our husbands, then essentially we're not walking in the power that God has given us. That's an important God-given area of power. And we see the world, we see Hollywood, we see marketing, all trying to take that power from wives really trying to arouse men. But that power was God-given for a wife to steward within her own marriage. And so just to recap, so it's respect and being a teammate and then the role of sex in the marriage. And as a teammate, another word could be companionship. I can't remember which mentor it was, but years ago, somebody pointed out to me that in Titus 2, when it talks about the older women teaching the younger women to love their husband and children. Mm -hmm. She said, it's really the liking love. Mm. You like them too. You <laughs> enjoy them. You want to be with them and spend time with them. That's really stuck with me. That's good. That's a good thing to bring up. It's not just about romantic love. It's about nurturing that friendship and companionship. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I think it looks different for men too, or I guess I can speak to my own marriage Whereas my favorite thing is making eye contact and sharing a meal together in a conversation. Another way my husband enjoys quality time is very shoulder to shoulder. Like if I sit down and watch a Georgia Tech football game with him, that is the ultimate quality time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. They, they want to do life together. Like we want to process life together. They want to do life. And so for my husband, he loves to go swimming with me. Like we go swim laps. He just likes to, if I'm going to make a run to Walmart, he'll want to go with me. And so, yeah, we have different love languages and different ways of feeling connected. And that all takes understanding, communication, and work. Well, 
That's good. I like how you say we like to process life together. They like to do life together. Yeah. We just want to talk about it. So (laughs) tell me how you feel. What are you thinking? (laughs) That's so true. And now a brief message from our sponsor. With over 1,600 apartment units available and with every price range covered, you will have plenty of options when you rent through Lehman Property Management Company. They have townhomes, duplexes, studios, and garden-style options located in many areas throughout Pekin. In Peoria, a historic downtown location and apartments adjacent to the OSF Medical Center provide excellent choices. Check out their brand new luxury property in Peoria Heights, overlooking the boutique shops and fine dining on Prospect. And in Morton, they offer a variety of apartment homes with garages, a hot downtown location, and now a brand new high-end complex near Idlewood Park. Their beautiful, spacious apartments with private garages in a quiet but convenient location await you in Washington. And if you're looking in Canton, don't miss Village Square Apartments stop by their website at midwestshelters.com. Back to your study, what I appreciate is that you just bring so many scripture passages alive in Passion Pursuit. And for example, you call the bride in Song of Solomon, the smoking hot mama. Yeah. (laughs) I had never considered this point before that as women, we focus so much on becoming the Proverbs 31 wife. And Mm -hmm. rightfully so, because she's given 21 verses in the Bible. However, the smoking hot mama is given eight chapters with 117 verses in the Bible. And your co-author pointed out, I'll just read this quote. She said, my guess is that most husbands, if forced to choose, would rather have a smoking hot mama than a Proverbs 31 wife. (laughs) Yeah, that that was actually something that dawned on me as a wife. Like every Mother's Day, I always hear about the Proverbs 31 woman, but no one ever challenged me to be a smoking hot mama. That was new for me. Definitely. So then from this study and your experience since then, what are just a few things that we all can learn from this smoking hot mama? Well, first of all, she initiated sex, which sounds like a small thing, but I think most people feel like in the church, it's always the man who initiates sex, and it's always the woman who is responsive. And that may be the case sometimes and maybe often, but it's not wrong for a woman to want sex with her husband, to initiate it, to plan for it. And I'd never seen that in scripture before. You know, we always talk about the wifely duty, but even in First Corinthians 7, when it talks about the wifely duty, it first says the husband has a duty to fulfill his wife sexually. And so the smoking hot mama really kind of fleshes that out for us that, you know, it's okay and it's a good thing to be a godly wife who actually thinks sexually about your husband and plans. She planned a sexual rendezvous. It looks like in a vineyard, like a naked picnic together. <laughs> you know, it's like this is in the Bible. And she's fantasizing about her husband's naked body and how much she wants to be with him. And so I think a big thing it does is just gives Christian women permission to say, it's okay to want this. I think sometimes Christian women go into sexual intimacy with all kinds of barriers of either they feel guilty or they feel like it's not okay to enjoy it too much or they just get distracted. 
And I think to know that in your mind, it's okay to be saying, I want this. This feels good. You know, thank you, God. I love this. And to tell your husband how much you're enjoying it instead of feeling like you have to downplay those desires. I think that's a huge message that comes out of Song of Solomon that we just don't really talk about very much. I think that's really good. And another meaningful passage you point out is Proverbs 5.19, which ends with saying to the husband, may you ever be intoxicated with her love. Yeah. What are some practical ways we can be intoxicated with the sexual love in our own marriage? Well, we have to make it a point of effort. Being intoxicated with your spouse, particularly after the first few weeks of marriage, (laughs) is going to take some effort. It's not naturally like you're going to just be aroused by each other all the time. You're going to have to say, this is important to our marriage. And because it's important to our marriage, we're going to devote time to it. Whether it's we're going to say, hey, a certain number of times a week or on these days are our times together, or whether it's just, you know, even going through a Bible study on sex and getting God's perspective. Those are all ways that you're putting forth effort to say, let's make this an important aspect of our relationship. How do we build novelty into our relationship and not just do the same thing, go on the same date, have sex the same way, say the same things to each other? How do we, from a God-honoring perspective, explore and have fun and give ourselves permission to enjoy and to grow together and challenging each other to be creative? I know in different seasons of our marriage, that's been something my husband and I have done is just challenging each other. Okay, once a month you come up with a creative idea and once a month I'll come up with a creative idea. It's not like every time you have sex it has to be fireworks, new, amazing, but you do have to put effort into saying, hey, this is kind of getting boring or we're not we're not enjoying this as much, we're not communicating, so how do we take it to the next level? Couples that are, are constantly investing in this will find that they are enjoying sex more and it's also becoming something that they're doing as a team that is fun and is building intimacy. And with these couples that you've counseled with or met with before, what are some creative ways that they are introducing novelty into the marriage bed? One thing you can just do is is really focus on the five senses. Uh, this is a way that you can be present. You know, like where you're saying, okay, what can we do that looks pretty? Maybe some candles in our bedroom. Maybe we even paint our bedroom to make it just more fun or special. What can we do like for the sense of smell? You know, whether it's, again, a scented candle or perfumes or something like that. What can we do for sound? Putting on some music that just gets us in the mood. What are the other senses? Touch. You know, how can we use creative touch? How can we introduce taste, whether it's just, you know, even with food or you use your imagination with taste there. But how do we involve all five senses? Because uh, you think about sensuality, sex is supposed to be a sensual experience. And so that's one creative way. Another thing you can do is just ask your spouse, what is the sexual fantasy you have? What, What would be your dream sexual encounter with me? And talk about that. And as much as you can, maybe create that and surprise your spouse with with something that is like what they describe to you. 
a lot of sexual novelty actually comes in the planning and in the talking and the sharing and the dreaming together. It's not just what you do in the moment, but it's really giving yourself permission to enjoy that whole journey. That's so great because then that communication builds intimacy as well because you're only sharing this with each other and it can build on that anticipation too. Yeah, exactly. I want to take a moment to say thank you. You are the reason our team gets to delight in this work and we appreciate each of you so very much. If you're benefiting from the lessons learned and applied from the Savvy Sauce, would you take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts? Five-star ratings and reviews help us reach more people around the globe, and that promotes our goal of sharing joy. So join us in that endeavor with your valuable feedback. Thanks again for being here with us. So there's one more passage that I wanted to pick your brain on. I had never read the amplified version of Philippians 2.4 before Mm -hmm. encountering your study, so let me read it here. It says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Julie, I would just love to know, what does this scripture mean to you? Yeah, this scripture has become a really important one in my life on many different levels. But one way that I apply it is in my marriage. Um, We don't think about it as a marriage passage, but it really can be. And you can even apply it very specifically to your sexuality. And uh, I think it's really practical. You know, first of all, what one thing Paul says is if you want to be united together, God wants you to be united. And so to do that, first of all, don't think of yourself as better than somebody else. Don't think of yourself as better than your spouse. And I think sometimes as women in particular, we can think, well, our perspective or approach to sexuality is better than the male approach because they're not as integrated with emotions and relationship. Like they can have a sexual expression with pornography. Um, And so female sexuality is better than male sexuality. And Paul would say, no, don't think like that. You know, God has a purpose in the way he designed both men and women and value that in your spouse. Value the differences instead of judging and feeling like your approach is better than your spouse's. But then also don't think about just your own interests, but think about the interests of others. And healthy intimacy is when you're meeting each other's needs. And so part of that is being vulnerable enough to explain what your needs are and your desires but also really putting your spouse's desires as a high priority. How can I please you? How can I make this fun for you? And if both people in the couple, the husband and wife, are approaching intimacy with that kind of attitude, they're going to be growing not only in their enjoyment of sexuality, but more importantly, they're going to be building just a real intimate relationship in this part of their marriage. That's so good. And again, I just love when the Bible points out a both and that first that it is okay to have your own personal interests, but don't merely look out for those also for the interests of others. And so kind of just staying away from either extreme of complete selflessness and complete selfishness. Exactly. Those don't describe intimacy at all. And so you really want to be working towards how do we, how do we please each other? And if anybody's giving a little bit of pushback saying, well, aren't we supposed to be completely selfless 
Isn't that what the Bible communicates? How would you respond to that? I don't think that's what the Bible communicates, to be completely selfless. I think there are some times where we're called to that, but as a whole, God motivates us by talking about deeper rewards, you know, like the joy of obedience or rewards in heaven. He created us in such a way that there is some self-interest there, but we want to be mature in wanting the best long-term things. And so it's not just about what I want in the moment. It's about what I really want is to build a fulfilling marriage. What I really want is 10 years from now to be more in love with my husband than I am today. And so it's delaying that gratification. It's saying the thing I want in the long run is more important than the thing I want today. And ultimately what we really want is we want to please God. And so I think you can look at it from that perspective, but you can also look at it from the perspective of if you're a completely selfless person, then you're not challenging the people around you to grow in their character. You know, if you're the kind of parent that gives your kids whatever they want because you want to be unselfish, you're really not teaching them to be thoughtful of other people. And the same is true of sex and marriage. If the whole sex life revolves around one person and when they want sex and how they want sex, then neither of you are growing. You're not learning to be vulnerable. You're not learning to meet each other's needs. And so it is a distorted view of the picture that God paints for us to have intimacy with each other. That is really well said. I'm really enjoying this conversation, and I highly recommend that everyone listening orders a copy of Passion Pursuit. Again, we'll have that direct link in our show notes and our resources tab on the website, thesavvysauce.com. So hopefully everyone can dive deeper with the Lord into this personal topic and experience more healing and freedom and pleasure. So beyond that resource, Julie, how else can listeners learn from you? Yeah, we have all kinds of content at our website, AuthenticNMC.com. We have a podcast called Job with Julie. And uh, every week we just talk about issues like these related to sexuality and intimacy. So that's a good way to plug into what we're doing. But just blogs, we have conferences, uh, marriage events. So if you go to our website, AuthenticNMC.com, you'll see how to plug into all those things. Perfect. And I just have one more final question for you today. Our mm -hmm. listeners know that every time I like to share that we're called the savvy sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or discernment. And so, Julie, we all want to know, what is your savvy sauce? My savvy sauce is something that I learned from Linda Dillo, who is the co-author of Passion Pursuit. And she talks a lot about keeping a, a thankful journal, just every day writing down things in that journal that you're thankful for. It's something that she gives newlyweds. And I don't have a specific thankful journal, but here's what I do with that, particularly when I'm going through times in my marriage where I tend to focus on the negatives of our marriage or of my spouse. I'll just get out a piece of paper and start writing down everything I love about my husband. And by the time I'm done with that list, my thoughts and feelings about him have completely changed. So that would be my savvy sauce for today. Oh, I love that. And Julie, you've been able to educate us on this awesome mystery of sexual intimacy. 
in such a relatable way. And I'm very excited for the couples who are going to benefit from this chat. So thanks again for being my guest. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. I've enjoyed it. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so He cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from Him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10:9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him you get the opportunity to live your life for Him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.